Thank you, Corey. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. You know, I just want to take a minute. It is absolutely an honor to get to um, share with you guys today. Um, I've been a part of New Harvest Church since the day it was started, literally. And I think most of you guys know that. And I actually started playing the piano in church when I was 13 years old for Bishop Tony Miller. So, um, so I am not... Uh, this is kind of normal. I'm, I'm a little bit at home today, to be honest with you. Um, but I never take it for granted the opportunity to share the Word of God. Um, and just to let you know, anything that's coming out of my mouth today has kind of already been worked into my heart today, right? So I didn't Google some little sermon for you today, okay? So, but before I get started, I do want to pray. And uh, I just want us to pray for our pastors today. How many of you love your pastors? I love our pastors. You know, uh, New Harvest Church has been here for well over 30 years. Uh, we moved into this building in 1997, and uh, in probably, I think I moved away in 2003, and a little bit before that, our pastors, Chuck and Karen, were handed the mandate. They were handed the baton for New Harvest Church, and they have been so faithful, so consistent, and there's nobody with more tenacity uh, than Pastor Chuck Pelham. I've said this before, but kind of, you know, there's a saying about spirit animals, like there's, you know, do you know what your spirit animal is? And uh, Pastor Chuck, for me, I have a spirit character for him, and it's Rambo. Anybody see the old Rambo movies? I'm talking like when I see uh, Chuck in the spirit, I like see, you know, like Rambo, the, like the knife in his teeth, you know, putting his headband on, like he is going after some territory, and he's going after uh, everything that God has placed inside of him. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to have a pastor like that. Thankful to have a pastor that fights for you, that fights for, that is loyal to the Lord. So let's just pray for him real quick this morning. So Father, I just thank you today for life. I thank you for our pastors, Lord. I thank you for Chuck and Karen, Lord. Father, I thank you that, that you are with them today, Lord. I thank you uh, for their life. We speak life over them today. We speak rest over them today, Lord, and uh, just t as, they're t as they're away today, Lord, as their family is away, Lord, I just pray for refreshing, seasons of refreshing upon them, God, for the next leg of the journey that we're headed into, Lord. We bless them today, and now, Lord, I just ask you to use me today. Help me to articulate what you've poured into me today. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. Give us ears to hear, God, what you want to download into us for the next leg of our journey. We just give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Porter. How many of you appreciate our worship team? Awesome, awesome. Yep. All right. How many of you, I'm going to start with this. So how many of you actually have a real Bible with you today? Hold them up if you got your paper Bible with you. Okay. Paper Bible. Real Bible, okay? How many of you know it's very, very important that you have a Bible, okay? I can't believe that I'm having to say this to a church full of Christians, but we're actually living in a time where some people, they don't, they don't, they don't have a, a for real Bible, right? And so, make, so and how many of you, let me ask you this, do your kids have Bibles? Have you purchased your kids a Bible? I really hope that you didn't purchase your child a cell phone and not purchase them a Bible, Okay, I really hope that you didn't spend $200 on a pair of tennis shoes 
and then not buy your child a Bible. I really do hope these things, right? I really hope that we're not spending hundreds of dollars for our children to go to travel ball, but we won't invest in a Bible or we won't invest in a youth camp to send them to, right? So um, that's, that's just my little plug today about this. This changes your life. This Bible is the only absolute on the face of the earth. How many of you know everything else changes, everything else shifts, everything else is up, down, all over the place? This is the only steady that is on the face of the earth right here. This is it. This is the word of God. So it's very, very important that you are in the word of God, right? And that you are raising up your children to be in the word of God. So I'm gonna ha- I have some hard questions for you today. All right, are y'all okay with that? Y'all got your big girl panties on and your big boy panties on? Y'all got to loosen up a little bit, okay? So, um, so let me ask you this. Have your children heard you or have they seen you read your Bible this week? Yeah, okay, good. All right, I'm, I'm going somewhere today. Can y'all, are y'all tough enough to hang with me? Don't turn me off and get on Facebook. Don't do that, all right? So I'm, I'm headed somewhere with you. So, and I'm sharing in you what the Holy Spirit has processed in me. You know, John chapter 1, it talks about the Word becoming flesh. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became a flesh. The Word was God. Well, literally, the Word became flesh in Mary's womb. That was Jesus. He is the Word. He became flesh. But how many of you know, as we stay in the Word of God, that same thing happens to us. The Word becomes flesh in us right? And then the Bible says that we are able to spit it out of us, that we actually become believers and powerful people rather than just parrots. You know what I'm talking about? The Polly wanna cracker parrots, right? So we're not just Christians that are parenting, parroting the last meme that we've seen. Can't stand that stuff, right? How many of you know a lot of that stuff's not even true? It's not even biblical based. It's just a lot of feel-good stuff that we just Take and just we keep sharing it and sharing it. And a lot of it's not even based on the word, right? But so the word has to become alive and has to become flesh in us. So the biggest enemy of our day, okay, if I ask you what the big, biggest enemy of our day is, what would you guys say? Anybody? Social media, I love that, right? So I put this, the biggest enemy of our day is not the devil. Be for real. If you read your Bible, the devil was defeated 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. The devil was done away. He's he's still alive and well, but let me tell you, his power over you was defeated 2,000 years ago, all right? So if you're sitting in here today and you think the biggest thing that you're fighting is the devil, you're mistaken, right? Because he was defeated, right? The biggest thing that we're fighting is is our own flesh, our battle now is, is, is our flesh against spirit, right? It's not God against the devil. That was done, that's a done deal. That's a done deal, right? So, but the biggest thing that we're fighting in this season, I believe, is distraction and shallowness, okay? And I'm preaching to myself here too because how many of you know a lot of us are so distracted? There's, I didn't even bring my phone up here today. But I have my smartwatch on, so it's kind of the same, right? So, but how, there's a statistic out that says this, that we touch our phones. Any guesses? 
2,617 times a day. I think it's more than that, actually. Like, I think we're up to about 5,000. Think about all the times you touch your phone. You pick it up. You pick it up. You pick it every, every, every spare moment, we grab our phone. Where's our phone? Where's our, oh, oh, my gosh, I can't find my phone. Right? Can you be for real and say there's no panic like the panic of you not finding your phone? Will anybody else be honest and just go ahead and confess that right now? When you lose that phone, stop everything, hold up. We have got to stop everything and find our phone. Listen, it's true, right? And most of the time, if we pick up our phone, we're picking it up for something good and reasonable, most of us, right? But then you get distracted. You get distracted a lot, right? When I grew up, you had to memorize the books of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's what we did in children's church. We sang them, and then we had Bible drills to see if we could actually find a scripture in the Bible. Anybody else grow up in that era? Now all I got to do, and I'm guilty of this too, hey, Siri, tell me where the scripture is that says blankety blank. Come on. So a lot of times our phones have become a huge distraction to us, and they've caused us to be probably a mile wide but an inch deep. Shallow, 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 shallow. Shallow Christians. And how many of you know if you're shallow, then... When the storms come, yeah, we might plant a nice big old oak tree there, but if that soil is shallow when the wind blows, what's going to happen to that tree, man? It's going to come up by its roots. It's going to come up by its roots. So Pastor, um, so Pastor Chuck preached a few weeks ago. He said, this isn't a beauty pageant. How many of you are here for that, that message? Whew, that was a rough one for me, right? This isn't a beauty pageant. He was talking about Esther that for such a time as this, you're placed in the kingdom of God for such a time as this. There is a reason that you're in the season that you're in in the body of Christ, right? And I don't want to get get ahead of myself here. But a lot of times we wonder why we're dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with. Why am I, ha- why am I dealing with the same old, same old, same old? Anybody get sick and tired of the same old, same old, same old? Right? I do. So why? And the problem is that we're allowing other voices to speak louder to us, right, than the voice of God, right? Those voices are very loud in our life. Psalm 29, there was a time when David cried out. He said, the voice of the Lord has to be over the waters. The voice of the Lord has to be able to break through all the noise because if the voice doesn't break through, then there's not going to be birthing. There's not going to be things taking place for the next season. So who are the loudest voices in your life? What are the loudest voices in your life, right? So we have other influences telling us who we are. Come on now, right? The media is killing us, telling us who we are, right? Well, if you're a woman, this is who you are, you poor thing. You know, you never get paid as much as a man, and, you know, you are mistreated and you're abused, right? If you're you're a, a, a millennial, well, then, you know, bless your heart. You don't know how to do anything, and you're lazy, right? Are you, come on, do y'all. You need, are you with me? Just kind of track with me a little bit. Some of the voices are of, out there, right? If, if you're of this race, you're entitled, and you think you know everything. But if you're in this race, uh, you're abused, and you, and you get mistreated. The media is constantly, constantly, constantly sending us these messages, trying to tell us who we are. 
And we a lot of times are receiving that and believing that over this, over the word of God that identifies who we are. So if you're in the kingdom and you're not expect, if you're not experiencing a little pushback, you know, if you're a born-again believer, how many of you know a little pushback is normal? Are y'all with me? Okay. If y'all with me, because if you're not experiencing some pressure, then I would think something's a little bit wrong, to be honest, right? Because Matthew chapter um, 11, it says this. It says, the kingdom of God suffers violence. How many of you know if you're part of the kingdom of God, there's going to always, always be something that's coming against the kingdom of God, right? But then it says the kingdom of God suffers violence, but then it says the violent take it by force. And that take it means we just keep, it doesn't mean that we get on Facebook and actually become physically violent and start yelling and screaming at everybody and tell them how stupid they are. That's not what that means. It says when the violent takes it by force, it means that we literally stand our ground and one step at a time, we just occupy more and more and more ground for the Lord. So are you occupying territory for God? Are you? Seriously, let's ask ourselves that. Are you occupying territory for the Lord? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on something that's a little familiar to me. So, you know, Corey said, yes, I, I, am the, I get the priv- privilege of being a principal at um, Cluiston Middle School. And, and I'm a firm believer. And I, I'm seeing a lot of stuff on now uh, where people are disagreeing you know, with public school and, and all of that. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you there's some, some polit- there's an agenda, there's a political agenda, right, that is coming against our public schools, right? But I don't believe, let me just tell you this, if you're a born-again believer in here and you're a teacher, if you're an educator, I don't believe, this is my personal opinion, you know, you can do whatever you want to do with it, I don't believe it's the time for b- Christian educators to pull out of public education, right? Because if we actually pull out a public education, are you kidding? We're surrendering it. We're surrendering our kids to y'all do whatever you want to do. I'm talking tell and running, right? When I see stuff like that, it makes me want to be like, boom, let me stand up, man. Let me drill down a little deeper, right? Let me stand and face this mountain a little bit stronger. But I'm learning more and more that I have to face that mountain with the word of God. Right? Because just my talent, just my ability, it means nothing. Right? It's going to trip me up every time. So God is looking, I want to tell you this, God is looking for a resting place on the earth. 2 Corinthians 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro. Okay? Now, when I grew up once again, Um, they used that scripture to try and make us behave. They would only quote half of it, right? And it was more like God's watching you. You better be careful. Oh, he knows what you're doing. Oh, he saw what you just said. Anybody grow up like that? Oh, God's watching you. Bette Midler even wrote a song about it. You know, God is watching you, right? But the rest of that scripture says, yes, the eyes of the Lord are going back and forth to and fro. But the second half of that says he's looking for somebody that he can show up in. Okay, he's looking for somebody to show up strong in. He's looking for somebody that will say, God, you, I will be your resting place. You can show up in me. You can use me. Right? You can be my resting place. Everybody say resting place. 
all through the Old Testament, they, they would carry the ark of the Lord, which was symbolic of his presence, was symbolic of his authority. And they were trying to get it to the city of Jerusalem where it could just finally, the glory of the Lord could have a resting place. It could have a city, right, that it would embrace him. And now in the new, with the new covenant, the Lord is looking for that resting place and he's not looking for it in a building. He's looking for it in people. He's looking for it in you. He's looking for it in me. He's looking for it in the next generation, in your children, right? And so will he find that resting place in you? And an Old Testament word for the glory of God is called kabod. And it means there's a heaviness to it. Have you ever experienced that, the heaviness? And, and there's a phrase in the Bible that talks about the heavy hand of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there's been seasons in my life where the heavy hand of the Lord was right on my head. And those were times when I wanted to run. I wanted to tuck tail and get out of dodge, right? I wanted to shirk off every bit of responsibility. I wanted to just say, forget this, I'm done. But the heavy hand of God was upon me, and he kept me, and he kept me in the place that I was ordained to be. He helped me stay in that place, right? So the weight of his glory, his resting place, is not some fun kickback, oh, let's have a party. Are y'all with me? Y'all being really quiet today. Am I talking too fast? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Do I need to slow down? Let me to speak a different language? I can. No, I'm kidding. I really can't. That was a lie. Forgive me, Lord. Okay, so, all right. So, so what happens a lot of time is that in the body of Christ, we seem to buckle under the weight. When God comes, see, most of the songs that we sing, and I'm not picking on our worship team. I'm going to talk about the whole entire body of Christ. We say, Lord, show up. Man, we want you here. God, come. God, come. But how many of you know when he comes, there's a weight that comes with him? And a lot of us aren't prepared for that weight. A lot of us couldn't even handle, we couldn't even stand one moment in that weight if he actually showed up. Because when the, and he does, I'm not saying he's not here. But have you read Isaiah chapter 6 where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I say Isaiah saw the Lord, and his initial response was he didn't go home and keep on sinning. His initial response was, I've seen the king, and I am a man of unclean lips. So take the coal from the altar. Come over here and touch my lips because I'm in the presence of the Lord. Okay? So these are some things that sometimes puzzle me. When I look at the worship industry, and I look at us, we're paying you know, $20, $40, $50 to get into worship concerts. And we have all this extremely talented people. And we have the lights and we have the smoke and all that. But people are leaving the same. The same. So have we really seen the Lord? Or did we just have a good time? Come on now. Are you with me? Are y'all with me on this? Okay. I was at Brooks and Dunn's concert last Friday night. You know, if that disqualifies me from preaching... Okay, all right, just, just move on. Come back next week for Pastor Chuck because he did not go to that concert, I can assure you. Okay? <laughs> so, and I just sat there, and while I enjoyed the music and all that, the only thing that I could think of was like, this is just one big worship service. Right? Gabby Barrett, she's leading worship up there. Right? 
roots and tongues, but they're leading worship to, how many of you know, to our soul, to our flesh, nothing that's going to be changed. And, and, and I had this brief moment. This is kind of a rabbit trail. I'll come back around. But I had this brief moment because they were singing Red Dirt Road. Y'all know that song? Y'all laugh. If I started singing it right now, y'all would join in. And y'all know it, right? So he talks about that Red Dirt Road where I found Jesus. And then the very next line says, and I drank my first beer. What? Right? And people just singing. Man, their hands are lifted up. I found Jesus, and I drank my first beer, and, you know, I got my girlfriend and all that. And for a brief moment, I was, like, thinking, man, I would love to go up there and take the microphone and just start singing a really old song like Shout to the Lord. And I guarantee you, 75% of those people would start singing with me. Are you with me? Right? So my point is this, guys. If are we really, have we really, are we truly experiencing the kabod, the weight, the glory of God, the presence of God in our life. Are we? Let me get back to my notes because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wander way off. So Matthew eleven twenty eight, it goes on to say this, that the, the yoke of the Lord, even though that present is heavy, it says when we yoke to the Lord, Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says the yoke of the Lord is easy. And his burden is light. So when we're yoked with him, when when we're in that yoke with him, we can handle that that kabod. We can handle the weightiness of his presence in our life. We can handle the weightiness of us being a resting place for him. Okay? So keep that in mind as we move on. So when things become heavy for us sometimes, right, when things get tough, Anybody have any things get tough lately in your life? Come on. When things get tough, a lot of times we blame either ourselves. We become like Job's, Job's friends where we say, oh, my, God, things, things aren't going right with me. I, I must have done something wrong. So we start gazing at our, our innards, right, and start going, okay, wait, did I do everything right? Did, did I read my Bible today? Oh, that's probably it. I forgot to read my Bible yesterday. Or did I do this? Oh, it So you see what I'm saying? We start looking for reasons why maybe things aren't going so right, okay? And then, and there's nothing wrong with that if the Holy Spirit is actually leading you to do that, if he's talking to you, if he's convicting you. But then the other thing is, when we can't figure out what's going on in us, then we point our finger at God. Well, no, it must just be God. He must just be going to try to teach me a lesson, right? He must be, anybody ever go there? Am I the only one that's going to be honest in here today? Right? So we do that. So we start pointing our finger at him. And a lot of times what happens is we come out of agreement with God and we run back to our unholy alliance of the flesh because we can't bear the weight of his glory anymore. We're buckling under the weight. Right? And so we, we, we won't just stay there with him and stay faithful. So we just shirk it all off and go back to what's comfortable. Go back to what's familiar to us. Go back to what's easy right? Go back to what feels right for us. So, and a lot of times this buckling is happening and this throwing off of the yoke is happening because people don't know who they are. They're having an identity crisis. There's two things. They don't know who they are and they really don't know who the Lord is. They have an issue with God's character. Hey, hey, right? So, 
I'm coming for you today like the Holy Spirit has been coming for me. Because I don't know about you, but the last few months I've been in, I've, I've been in some war. Right? I've been in some war. There's been some pushing back on me. There's been some things happening in my life that I haven't quite understood. How many of you know the Lord can tell you, he can prepare you, he can say, hey, there's a hurricane coming. You better get ready for the hurricane. And you can be prepared for it, but how many of you know that wind still blows? How many of you know those limbs still snap all around you? Amen? So you have to learn. Are you going to stay in those moments? Are you going to stay with him when the weight starts coming down on us, right? So I'm going to talk to you about two things today. The first thing is this. We got to settle our identity. Everybody say, settle your identity. (laughs) Biggest thing going on right now, which is absolutely ridiculous. Well, who or what do you identify as? Do you identify as male or female? Well, I actually want to be my schnauzer because he's got it made. He gets fed, he gets held, sleeps in my bed, don't have to do a dang thing, don't have to clean up, right? Who or what do you identify as, right? Who or what? This is the big thing. All over, well, I identify as this, okay? Well, let me ask you this. If you don't know who you are, you're going to buckle every single time. So, and the way that you identify is the way that you're going to act. Plain and simple. You're going to act the way you identify, okay? So what does that have to do with you? Everything, right? Because it's important for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ to know who you are, right? Song, who are you? Who, who, right? I know that song. So who are you? Ask your neighbor, who are you? Let me tell you who you are. First of all, I'm going to go after a myth here. You are no longer a sinner. A lot of times people say, oh, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, yeah, you know, I got on that red dirt road and I drank my beer because, you know, I'm, after all, I'm just a sinner. Okay, and please don't hear me, you know, picking on people that drink beer. Just, you know, drink your beer. I don't care. See what I'm saying? Drinking a beer ain't going to keep you out of at heaven or hell. See what I'm saying? You understand that beer is not the issue. Your heart is the issue. You with me? You with me? So my point in saying all this is this, who do you identify? Because however you identify the way is, is the way that you're going to act. So if you think that you are a sinner, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, well, automatically, if that's how you identify, then you're going to think the normal thing for you to do is to do what? Sin. If I'm just a sinner, I might as well just go ahead and sin. Right? And how many of you know that's backwards to begin with? Okay? It's backwards to begin with. Right? You didn't become a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you were born into sin. Okay? I'm going to say that again for the slow people in the room. Right? Just because you sinned did not make you a sinner. You were already born as a sinner. So because you were born as a sinner in Adam's lineage, well, of course you sinned. How come you think Jesus came and said, now you have to be born again. You have to be born again to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be born into that heritage. And so you are no longer a sinner. Second Corinthians 5 says 17 says, if anybody's in Christ, right, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come, 
right? God reconciled us to himself, and now he's called us to be reconcilers of other people to him. So you are no longer a sinner. Y'all should be happier about that, okay? So then what are you? Well, you are a son of God. You are a son and daughter of God. That's huge. That is huge, right? So you are, John 1, 12 says, as to many as received him and welcomed him, he gave you the right, he gave you the authority to become a child of God. Jesus gave you that right, okay? So that is your identity. You are a child. You are a son of God. Let me tell you the other thing you are. You are the will and the plan of God for this region. If you're here, you're his plan. You are his will. You understand? We don't just ask, Lord, what is the will of God? We don't just do the will of God. We are the will of God. Are you with me? I am the will of God. I am the will of God right now for Clueston Middle School. Right? You understand that? I am the will of God for my family. I am the will of God. Some of the, I'm scaring some of y'all. But it's true. Men, you are the will of God for your family. You are. The, you have that authority. Right? Women, you are the will of God for your family. You don't have to pray, well, I wonder what God's will is. No, you're it. You're his will. Okay? So what does that look like? There, God doesn't have another will. He's not sitting up there coming up with another plan. I'm going to help some of y'all. Some of y'all think he's up there praying about another plan. He's not praying for another plan because you are his plan. You're it. There's not a plan B. You are his plan. To the point that Acts chapter 1 says that when he left, when he went back to heaven, he left you his power. He left you his authority. It said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? Power to do what? Power to be a witness unto him. Okay? Not power to go on Facebook and post your little memes. Some of y'all are going to unfriend me. I know y'all are. Please do. Just go ahead. Right? That's not, well, I'm going to be a witness because I'm going to put a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on my car. Right? I'm going to be a witness because I'm going to get on social media and put scripture out there, and I'm going to be a witness because I'm going to get out there and tell this party how horrible they are. That's not being a witness. Being a witness is living under the heavy hand of God, the kabod of God, knowing that you are a carrier of his glory. And that glory, that kabod, that weight trumps every other thing in the world. Right? I'm I'm trying to help you guys. Listen, the next thing is this. You are in the earth, but you're not of it. I've had to be reminded of these things over the last couple of months because the earth got very familiar to me. (laughs) I was like, I'm walking around just looking at all the problems, just seeing everything that's here. I can't see an answer. I don't know how to fix this. Uh, I'm a problem solver. How how can I solve this problem? I can't solve this problem. I'm just, right, 24-7 getting exhausted. But the Lord reminded me, you're in the world, but you're, 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 you're not of it. I'm from a higher world, right? The Bible says that I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. So I'm simultaneously living in two different dimensions. Yes, I'm getting up every day, putting my clothes on, you know, going to work, doing whatever. But I'm also seated in heavenly places. So I have a different view than the average people have. See what I'm saying here? So I have a different view. 
So I'm in the world, so I'm not of it. So the kingdom of God trumps every other kingdom or, of, or culture, right? It does. You belong to a higher kingdom, so you have to think like people from a different kingdom. We get in trouble when we begin to deal with pressure and struggle according to the mindset we were raised in. Listen, I love my family. My mom is probably watching right now. Maybe not. But listen, if I, was, um, if I dealt with every situation like the, uh, the culture I was raised in, I'd be getting into a few more fights and cussing a few more people out. I have some cousins sitting over here. It was not unusual for us to, you know, get in a fight in my granny's backyard. Right? I never went to a Christmas gathering without getting the busted lips by somebody somewhere somehow. Maybe I had a smart mouth. I don't know. Probably. Right? See, you see what I'm saying? But our kingdom culture has to trump every other culture. It has to trump the way that I was raised. Okay? I'm trying to help some of us, myself included. But and it also has to trump the culture that was formed in us by our flesh. Right? So what do I mean by that? Some things I, I inherited by the environment I was raised in. Right? Some things were created in me by my own way of coping with pressures and things that came to me. Right? I have a really, my, my flesh, all flesh is independent. But I can remember a few times not feeling like anybody was going to defend me or take care of me. So I made a really big decision that, well, I'm going to take care of myself. Ain't nobody else going to help me? I'm in charge of my own self, right? That sounds all fine and good until somebody tries to tell you what to do, <laughs> right? And then that rebellion comes out. Who do you think you are? You can't tell me what to do, right? So there's also, there's patterns and cultures that we've created in our own self. Maybe rejection, right? Maybe everything you see, somebody, somebody says something to you, it comes to you from a filter of rejection. So somebody could be sending you the kindest Sweetest email ever, but you take it as, who she thinks she is emailing me that? Are you with me? Okay. So when your filter is dirty, how many of you know if I have a, a coffee filter and, and, and my filter is dirty, I don't care if I put brand new spring water in that filter, guess what? Is that water, is my coffee going to come out pure? No, it's not because my filter's dirty. My filter's messed up. So no matter how many times I sit in church and hear the word of God preached, if I don't change my mind, if I don't renew my mind, it's going to be jaded by that filthy, dirty uh, filter that I have. So that's the next thing as believers that, that, that Paul said this. This is why Romans 12, 1 and, 1 and 2, it says you've got you to gotta renew your mind, right? And growing up, we made that scripture. It says be not transformed, transformed to the world. And we made that a lot of times about, you know, don't wear makeup or, you know, don't wear big fancy earrings and don't do this because you look like the world. Right? That was really about this. Transfer your mind. Don't be part of the world. Don't think like the world thinks. Because in verse 2 it says, how do you do that? Well, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible is very clear that God does not think like you think. He's not sitting up there worried about how you're going to get back at one of your friends, right? He does not think that way. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So because his thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are different than us. I'm going to say that again. Because he thinks differently than us, his ways are different than ours. So if we're trying still to deal with hand-to-hand -hand combat, 
the, down here at this level without our mind renewed, without thinking like he thinks, well, then we're not going to be doing his ways. We're going to be doing it our way. And how many of you know our way doesn't work? Right? So, first thing is we have to settle our identity. You are a saint. Everybody say, I'm a saint. You're a saint. You're a saint that every once in a while might sin, but you are a saint. You know why? This Bible, the New Testament, is written to saints. Go back and read it. You like the book of Romans? Well, it was written to the saints in Rome. You like the book of Corinthians? Well, guess what? It was written to the saints in Corinthians. Go and look. Every first scripture says, to the saints. So if you're not a saint, then I guess this isn't for you. Come on. But it is for you, right? Because we are saints. Does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean they're going to make a little statue of me somewhere that people are going to light a candle to? Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Right? Okay, so the second thing we have to settle, and I'm going to hurry here. The second thing we have to settle is who the Father is. I have to know who I am, but I also have to settle who he is. I have to settle who he is. And there's a scripture that I want to share with you. I don't know if they can pull it up or not. It's way down in my notes. I'm skipping. It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 15, I believe. And Jeremiah is going through a time where he says this. He says, Lord, some of y'all can relate to this. He says, Lord, listen, your word came to me. I ate your word. It was so good to me. They became a joy to me. They became a delight of my heart. I've been called by your name. And he goes on verse 17. He says, I didn't sit with the groups of those um, who celebrate. Basically saying, I didn't hang out with the bad folks. Okay, you with me? He says, I sat alone because your powerful hand was upon me. Right? I separated myself because I knew the hand of God was on me. Um, So then verse 18, he goes on to say, so then why has my pain been perpetual? He's saying, so I've done all this. I've served you. I'm living right, but I'm still in pain. How come I'm still in pain? How come I have this area? He calls it, he says, how come I have a wound that's incurable? Anybody ever feel like you have something? Man, you're walking along, man, you're doing really, 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 really good, and all of a sudden something triggers that wound. Oh, man, there it is. That pain is right there. You with me on this? And so he says, why has my pain been perpetual? Why has my wound been incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook with water that's unreliable? And the Lord has an answer to him. And I want you to hear this. His answer to Jeremiah was this. His answer said, if you repent and give up your mistaken attitude of despair and self-pity, then I'm going to restore you. So imagine this. Here's Jeremiah going, Lord, I served you. I go to church every week. I serve on the media team. I, I, I play the piano. I've been playing the piano since I was 13 years old. But, Lord, here I am. Man, I'm still wounded. I'm still dealing with this. Right? And a lot of times in our own flag, we expect, we expect the Lord to say, oh, you poor thing. You are so right. I have been so terrible to, te- to you, Tina. Let me fix it. That's not what he said. He said, Jeremiah, I got something for you. Repent from your self-pity. Repent from your mistaken tone of distrust about my goodness. 
Come on now. Listen, I love you. Pastor Chuck will be back next week and preach you a happy Father's Day message. Okay, but I'm going somewhere today, right? He says, if you do that, he says, then I'm going to restore inner peace to you so that you can stand before me. And if you separate the precious from this worthless uh, examining yourself and cleansing your heart from unwarranted doubt concerning my faithfulness. He says, you need to cleanse your heart from this deep doubt, deep down secretive doubt of doubting my faithfulness to you. He said, and when you do that, then you can become my mouthpiece. Then I'm going to make you my mouthpiece. Then you're going to become my spokesperson. Right? So we have to deal with the areas of our heart that we don't know really who God is. We don't know him. We think we know him. You know, we think that, you know, he's this Santa Claus up in the sky that we just pray and he, he gives us whatever we want. Has that been your experience? Because that hasn't been mine. Right? There's things I've been asking the Lord for my whole life. Still don't have them. You with me? Okay. So we got to know who we are and we have to know who God is. Okay. So who is he? Right? Well, he's the living God. You know, New Harvest Church says, I mean, our whole slogan is to make him famous in the glades. What are we making famous? If we don't know him, how are we going to make him famous? Are we propagating a false image of who the Father is? Come on. Right? So we have to know him in order to make him known. He's the ruler of the universe. He is he's love. He's healer. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's all these things. He's not just the man upstairs. <laughs> right? He's not just our lucky charm or our sugar daddy. Right? He's not, that's not who he is. And the other thing is, he's not you. <laughs> he don't think like you. He don't act like you. He doesn't have your limitations, right? A lot of times, we, when things get tough, we put him down in the same box that we live in. What? I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want a God that I can understand completely. Because if I can understand him, he's probably not God. Right? So... We can't reduce him down to whatever we think that he should do. Here's the bottom line. He is life. There is life nowhere else. In John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no life outside of him ever, right? And so he goes on to say that there's no other salvation. You can't make a deal with him, right? I've been around people growing up and say, yeah, I, got, I made a deal with God. He understands. You know, even though Hebrew says, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, like, you know, go to church, basically what it's saying, you know, God and I got a deal. Because I can, I can touch God when I'm out on the lake on Sundays. Come on now. God ain't got no deal with you. Deal or no deal, that's a no deal. He don't have a deal, right? He is God. He is bigger than you, right? He will never fit in your box, right? And this brings me to my main point that I'm going to challenge you with today. And I got 20 minutes. I'm going to get out of here. Ready? So my main point is this, and I even forgot to tell you what my title is. My title is, who said anything about safe? Who said anything about safe, right? 
because I'm here today to destroy a Christian cliche. And that Christian cliche is this, that the safest place to be is in the will of God. That's a lie. That's a myth. I'm sorry, I'll be nice. I won't call it a lie. That's a myth. Okay? So on one hand, yes, we are safe because we are with him. But how many of you know his will is not always a safe place? You with me? Are you with me? So God is good, but he's not always safe. He's not always safe. So C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you guys read any of him, but I, I like his stuff. And he has a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in the movie, there's a part where the young lady is about to meet the king. She's about to meet Aslan. And they're prepping her. They're saying, hey, it's time. You're going to go and you're going to see the king of Narnia. And so in her mind, she thinks she's going to go and meet this king, this man, this human. And she finds out that, no, that really the king of Narnia is a lion. So then this kind of fear enters her. And she says to one of the other characters, she says, I'm kind of nervous about meeting a lion. Like, is, is, is he safe? And the character comes back to her and says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. But he's good. Are you with me? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. Okay? So where am I going with this? The oldest lie in the world is that God's not good. That started in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. What did the serpent come straight up and say to Eve? Well, yeah, God's holding out on you. He's not good. If he was good, you could eat of this fruit right here. You could do whatever you wanted to. If God was good, if God was good. So the oldest lie, there's nothing new under the sun. How many of you know he still comes to us with that same lie? That same opportunity to get bitter. That same opportunities. God's not good. God's holding out on you. God didn't answer your prayer. God didn't do this. God did allow this. He, come on, are y'all with me? Okay. So what that, why is that important? Because we keep falling for that over and over again. So God is not always safe, but he's always good. The Bible says that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. Psalm 23 says that there are going to be enemies, but in the presence of our enemies, he doesn't make our enemies go away. He told David, David, in the presence of your enemy, I'm going to prepare a big fat table right in front of all of your enemies, and I am going to provide a banquet for you where you can sit down with enemies catcalling all around you, and you can just sit there and eat. You can just sit there because that's who he is. He's good. And then he goes on to say, and in the midst of that, I'm going to anoint your head with oil. I'm going to give you some fresh oil. I'm just going to slap it on your head. And then he says, it's going to be so good that your cup's just going to run over. Right in the midst of your enemies, right in the presence of people that are trying to take you out. Right? Right in the, right in the middle of people that are making false accusations. Right in the middle of things not working out. Right in the middle of a recession. Right in the middle of your family falling apart. He doesn't say I'm going to keep you from having any of those things happen to you. His promise is I'm going to be with you in the middle of it. I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. And then, then the question becomes is that enough for you? 
Is he enough for you? Abraham was willing to say, you know what? He is my great reward. He is my portion. He's enough for me. He is enough for me. Right? And we live in a society where it hasn't made, he, it hasn't made him enough. Our biggest fear is dying. We don't want to die. But the Bible says that in Hebrews, that I think it's Hebrews 2.14, says everybody fears death, but it said even the same time when the devil was destroyed in his power, guess what? Our fear of death was destroyed. We no longer have to fear death because he is our reward, right? We might get scared about how that's going to look like and what it's going to look like, but the bottom line is the Bible says blessed, right? We rejoice in the death of saints because we know where they're going, right? And if we don't allow our enemies to be God's enemies, right, and his enemies, and if we don't live as those things have been defeated, if we live with a mindset, otherwise we're going to shirk, we're going to shirk responsibility every chance we get because fear is going to come and start knocking at our door. Are you with me on this? Right. So, my main point was that the safest place to be is not in the center of God's will. So have you read the Bible? Because I'm going to show you something. I'm going to start talking fast. Y'all ready? So have you read the Bible? Because if you read the Bible, you know that the safest place to be is not in the will of God. Y'all with me? Y'all read the book of Job? Job was in the will of God. <laughs> was he safe? Yes, he was safe. Don't get all semantical with me. But you understand what I'm saying? When I say safe, I mean that he doesn't allow the bad things to happen to us. Right? As a matter of fact, when the enemy came to God, God was the one that drew attention to Job. Go back and read the book of Job. God said, hey, um, have you uh, considered my servant Job over here? Because the lie that the enemy was propagating was, well, he's only serving you because you have a, protect, a hedge of protection around him. He's only serving you because you're taking such good care of him. If you take that hedge down, he's going to ditch and run, watch and see. So the Lord said, okay, that's on. <laughs> he lowers the hedge and everything horrific happens to Job. Even his friends come to, me, come to him and say, well, you needed to curse God and die. First, his Christian friends came to him and told him how much sin he had in his life. Boy, I don't know what you're doing, but you did something bad. Right? They accused him of all that stuff, stopped hanging around him. Don't go to Job's house. It's bad over there. Right? How many of you have a few Christian friends that are like that? Right? But Job stayed steady. Even his own wife said, curse God and die. And he said, no. I can't see God in front of me. I can't even see where he's been behind me. But I know he's with me. And I'm going to come through pure gold. And how many of you know the Lord restored over and over multiple things? Because Job knew who God was, right? Job didn't bind to the lie that God is, is that, that, you know, only good things happen to us, right? So what about this? What about... Um, well, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you something real fast here. Okay? 
Hebrews 11 is called the chapter of faith, right? Chapter of faith says this, and I'm not going to read everything. I'm just going to go through some of it with you. But how many of you know, a lot of times when we get a message on faith, man, people running, screaming, yelling, shouting, man, we have faith, we have faith. God's going to do this. I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. And that's all fine and good because that is part of it. You with me? So but if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it starts out like verse 3, it says, and this is in the Passion Translation. So I looked up one day, and, and it really stuck out to me, the verbs, the action words in Hebrews chapter 11. And basically it says this, verse 3, it said faith empowers us, right? Verse 4, faith moved Abel to choose an acceptable sacrifice. Verse 5, what did faith do? It translated Enoch straight from earth to heaven. He didn't have to die. Skip down to verse 7. What was the action there? Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warning. Faith was what opened his heart, right? Go to verse 8. What did, what did it do there? Faith motivated, motivated Abraham to obey God's call, to leave his familiar, to go to something that he didn't know anywhere about. That was faith, right? Skip on down to verse 13, right? And it says, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith. Not, this scripture used to make me so mad when I would read it. Listen to this. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. I thought that was a typo in the Bible. Anybody ever get mad reading the Bible? That, that scripture made me mad. It ticked me off. I'm like, Lord, how can these people have done all these incredible things and at the end of their life they have not received the promise, right? I had to sit there for a little bit and really pray on that. But it says this, but they saw, but they saw beyond the horizon, the fulfillment of their promises, and they gladly embraced it from afar because they lived their lives on earth as those who belong to another realm. So they're sitting there and they're like, okay, I might not embrace my promise down here in this realm, but I am from another realm, and my promise is going to be fulfilled, right? So, so hang with me here. Verse 15, and it says, and if their hearts, come on, I'm giving y'all some good word right here. If their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. If I'm still focusing on what I'm not getting, if what's not happening I'm going to have an opportunity every single time to shirk off the weight of God's glory, to shirk off the yoke of his glory. It says this, but they couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was greater, right? Now, it goes on and on all the way down, talks about all the amazing thing that, things that faith did, all right? In verse 33, it says that faith, it, in, they conquered kingdoms and they established justice because how? Their faith fastened onto promises. They pulled them into reality. Faith shut the mouth of the lion. It put out the power of the raging fire. It caused many to escape death by the sword, right? And then that's normally what we preach. <laughs> we go, I'm going to preach about faith today. I'm going to tell you all these wonderful things that happened in Hebrews chapter 11. Don't you want to have faith? Come on, shout if you got faith. How many people are like, oh, yeah, we do all that. That's awesome. But let me read the second part that faith did. Y'all ready? Put your seatbelt on. Yet it was faith 
that enabled others to endure great atrocities. You don't hear that scripture preached very much, do you? They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured, and they didn't deny their faith in order to be free. Because why? Because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. They said, I'm going to die here, but just as quick as I'm dead, whoop, resurrection power, baby. Right? Verse 36, what else did faith allow them to do? Others were mocked. They experienced the most severe beatings with whips. They were chained. They were imprisoned. They were brutally killed by stoning. Some of them were sawn in sawn, like with a saw. They were sawn in two. They were slaughtered by the sword. They lived. They went about wearing goat skin and sheep skin, meaning they didn't have the fanciest clothing. They lost everything they had. Come on. Some of us at that point would have been like, up yours, God. I'm done. Come on now. How many of you at that point, some of you would have been pointing your big old finger right up at God, saying how unfair he was, how you just can't believe he's allowing these things to happen to you, right? But part of this is this. Listen, if you don't know his character, you're going to blame him every single time. If you don't know that he is good, if you don't know that he has the final say, if you don't know that your reward is him and that is greater than anything this world could offer you, anything, right? And it says, this is what it goes on to say. It says, truly, this world was not worthy of them. I want to be a believer. Listen. If there's a sign-up sheet for being sawn in half, my name is not going to be on it. You with me? If there's a sign-up sheet, if you want to be holy, I've got some goat skin right here. My name is not on that list either. Are you with me? You follow me? I'm not talking about signing up for senseless, brutal, oh, well, look at me, I'm so holy because I'm suffering. You're not going to find that in the Bible. But I do want to be, I want to know the character of God so much. And I want to be yoked to him that I can be, that it can be said of me that the world is not worthy of me. That I see something greater. That I'm part of a higher kingdom. That there is more to this world than what I'm seeing right now. It says these were true heroes. But listen to this. This is where we come in. It says, yet they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised. There it is again, that other scripture that makes me mad. What? Wait, they got sawed in half, but they still didn't get what they were promised? But you know why? Because listen, first of all, how many of you know we're part of the body of Christ? How many of you know there's not a body of Christ for the people in the Bible, and now we're part of another body of Christ over here? How many of you know that? How many of you know there's one body of Christ? So those people are part of our body. Think about that. They're part of our body. There is no I in the kingdom of God. There's just us. There's just us. There's just all of us. There's just we, right? So part of that goes to this. So they didn't receive what was promised to them, but God has invited us. Point to yourself. He's invited you. He's invited me to live in something better than what they had. To live in something better 
That is so that they can be brought to their finished perfection alongside of us. They have passed the baton to us. They're saying, hey, I didn't get it while I was down there on earth. Take this baton baton and run with it so that my promises can be finished in you. Are you with me? So my promises can be finished in you. So, So God is not safe, but he is good. Hebrews 12, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, it's those people. Those people are, are cheering us on. I mean, some of you might be sitting in here right now and say, well, I'm so glad I came to church today because I am depressed. Because Tina is talking about how hard it is to be a Christian. Listen, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you stay the course. I'm trying to help you be a carrier of the glory of God. I'm trying to help you be a place where the Lord says, I can rest my glory here. I can rest my glory here because when things get tough, these people know my character. They know my character. They know that I am good regardless of what's going on around them, right? They're not going to shirk my yoke. They're not going to be people that tuck tail and run every time things get a little bit difficult. They're not just going to go to bed. I mean, you know, sometimes when things get difficult, I just want to go to bed. (laughs) I just want to go to bed and just turn on the TV, right? But we have to be willing to stay the course. We have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be yoked with you, right? We have to be able to press through the physical pain. We have a saying that says, no pain, no gain, right? Now, obviously, I'm not into physical fitness. I know that shocks some of y'all. But, but there's no pain, no gain. But how many of you know the same of that is true in the spiritual realm? It's truer, it's truer in the spiritual realm, right? We can't quit just because hard times come, right? We can't secretly start getting bitter and doubt God, right? So, so I've talked about Job. Let me show you a few more people, and I'm going to close with this. What about Stephen? Stephen's welcome to the kingdom was he preached his first message and got stoned to death. He was probably preaching something like I'm preaching right now. Nobody liked it. They just stoned him to death, right? What about John the Baptist? Got his head cut off. Perfect will of God, beheaded, right? What about Paul? Somebody forgot to tell Paul how safe the will of God was. Go back and read the book of Acts. Paul talks about, man, I've been shipwrecked several times. I've been beaten and left for dead several times. All of these horrible things have happened to me but I'm still a disciple of Christ. I'm still going to pursue him. Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, he says, yes, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Yes, I want to know him in the fun stuff, the hooping and hollering. Yes, I want to know him in that. He said, but I can't 100% know him if I'm not willing to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. How many of you know if the only half of him you know is the good things and the hooping and hollering and the running around and shouting, you don't really know him. If you haven't entered into his suffering with him, then you don't 100% know him. Right? And he goes on to say, what about Peter? 1 Peter 4. He says this. He says, listen, this is the advice I'm going to give y'all. From Peter, he said, you have to have a mind to suffer. He said, you know what your biggest tool is in your Christian toolbox is having a mind to suffer, being willing to suffer with Christ. Not, once again, I'm not talking about foolish, senseless suffering. Are you with me? He said, because if you've armed yourself 
with the willingness to suffer rather than failing to please God. What he's talking about here is he's talking about when everything in you is coming up against you and boy, you just want to shirk off everything and you just want to let it fly. You want to talk, tuck, tell and run. He's saying, stay put, have the mind to suffer through it. He said, because that is the biggest weapon that you have. The biggest weapon that the body of Christ needs right now is the willingness to stay put. Pastor Corey, I mean, Pastor Porter, you can come on. I'm going to close with this. So God's will for our life is less about comfort and more about contribution. So I want to ask you, what are you contributing? Right? Are we just here Do we just become Christians because we think it's the safest place to be? How many of you know discipleship here, and once again, please hear my heart. Listen, I love the church, and I'm not talking about New Harvest when I say this. I'm talking about the church as a whole, especially in America, right? People get saved. You know, we got to make sure that they have coffee when they get to church. You know, we got to make sure that they're so comfortable that we have the AC temperature set just right. We got to make sure that somebody greets them at the door and tells them how wonderful they are and how pretty they look. Come on, I'm being a little ridiculous, but you understand what I'm saying? Y'all with me? Let me tell you what Discipleship 101 is in China. Discipleship 101 is this. Anybody want to get saved? Okay, come on up to the front. Okay, oh, hallelujah, you got saved. You accepted Jesus? And then the altar workers take them to the back, to the little room, you know, we ask everybody to go out there. And they say, listen. Discipleship 101, when people find out you're a Christian, they're going to kill you. Still want to be a Christian? Come on. That's Discipleship 101 in Iraq. Come on. And here we are, right, thinking I'm in a trial. Please pray for me. I put it on Facebook. Unspoken request. Please pray for me. My friend calls me up. What is your unspoken request? My God, are you okay? Are you dying? Yeah, my AC just quit working. I mean, girl, I'm sweating it up. Man, I, I need y'all to pray. I'm sweating it up. I need somebody to fix my AC. Come on. Can y'all just laugh a little? Is that not true of us sometimes? It's because we don't really know. We're not living in the true character of who we are in our true identity. As believers in Christ, and we don't really truly know the character of God. So God's will for our life is less about comfort than it is about contribution. It's less, God never would choose safety for us at the cost of our significance. You know, Pastor Chuck sent me those two lines. He said, listen, because I was telling him a little bit where I'm going. He says, Tina, I just really sense strongly. I want to share this with you. You can use it or not. But I thought, what a powerful statement. God would never choose safety for us over significance. Come on. Never. Right? I put this. We can't live off of social media cliches. Why is it important that I know him? If you look at Luke chapter 4, extreme battles. And our answer is not going to be some little cute cliche. Well, God helps those who help themselves. Like, If y'all text me that, I'm just going to text back, shut up. And I'm going to block you after that. I know it. Don't mess with me. I'm kidding. 
See what I'm saying? We try to give these cute little Christian answers all the time. Right? Somebody passes away. We say stuff, well, like, God needed them more than you did. What? What in the world kind of answer is that? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says grieve. But don't grieve like those that don't have hope. Grieve knowing that you're going to see them again. It doesn't say act like everything's hunky-dory because you're a Christian. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Read the book of Psalms. David wept and cried. David prayed for people to die. Because he lived and he felt what he was in. You know, the Lord was t- finally told me, listen, you need to quit trying to avoid the pain that's coming to against you. Live it. Be in it. But know that I'm in it with you. So as a believer, our role is not to try to avoid bad things. It's to know that he's in it with us. He is in it with us. And people are watching. Listen, people don't need to know how many likes you have on Facebook. They need to know, what do you do when times get hard? What do you do when your whole world is falling apart? That's what they're watching. That's what they're watching. They're going to say, how are they going to rise out of this pile of ashes? That's what people are looking for. Not did you put on your makeup right and you have a cute dress on. They're looking for how are you making it? How are you raising your children? Right? How are you standing in the gap when things are going crazy? Right? So when, we, when things go crazy, we don't get pitiful. We get powerful. We don't get pitiful. We get powerful. Right? But, but we have to stay in the fight of faith. We have to stay in the fight of faith. So my question to you is, who's teaching you how to fight? You can go ahead and stand. Who's teaching you how to fight? Paul said at the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. He fought the fight of faith. So who are you taking fighting lessons from? Are you taking it from social media? Right? Are you taking it from Fox News and all these news channels that are telling you what you need to do? You better go buy a whole bunch of gold. You better, you know, buy some canned foods, plant a garden, doing all this stuff. Nothing wrong with all that. Right? But who are you learning how to fight from? Because God's strategies are different strategies than what the world gives us. Right? Are we learning how to fight? You know, the scripture that the Lord laid on my heart, and I'm going to close with this, it says this. Was when, when Pastor Chuck was preaching that about, you know, this ain't a beauty pageant, you know. And I, and I want you to know that this, I want you to hear what I say when I'm this. In a lot of charismatic circles, right, there's a lot of, listen, I love our church. Pastor Chuck not let me, might not let me preach after I say this, but please hear my heart and hear the heart that I'm saying this with. There's a whole lot of, you need to shout. You need to do this. You need to do that. But my question is, is there a power behind that? In you, right? right? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God, through the tearing down of the strongholds. And there was a fight that the children of Israel came up against. God had already taken them into their promised land, right? They were there. They had crossed the Jordan. They were in their promised land. And all of a sudden they get there and they say, wait, I feel a little gypped because there's giants here. 
I thought you were taking me to the promised land. This is the promised land. Are you kidding me, Lord? There's, there's giants in my promised land? This can't be what you promised me. The Lord said, it, it absolutely is. So, so I'm going to raise you up to take down those giants. I'm going to raise you up to take down those strongholds, right? And so this is what he told them to do. Yes, there was a shout. When they got to Jericho, I'm talking about Jericho. How many of you know that eventually they shouted and, and the walls came down? But let me ask you a question. Did they shout the first time around? No. No. What, was, what were they? They were instructed to do, do what? Shut your mouth. Be quiet. Put down your phone. Get off of social media. Get in the word of God. Are you with me? This is kind of how the Lord said it to me. The six times around. First time, I just wrote it like this. Shut up the rhetoric. You know what rhetoric is? Rhetoric is just saying what everybody else is saying. Well, I just say it because Pastor Chuck said it. Well, if you're going to repeat anybody, he's a good one to repeat. See what I'm saying? You with me on that? I'm just saying it because that that lady at church told me to say this. (laughs) That's why I'm saying it. That's rhetoric. Some of the rhetoric's good. Some of the rhetoric's bad. We're going to all die, y'all. It's bad. We're going to die. That's rhetoric. Right? The nation's going to pot. It's horrible. America's going down. That's rhetoric. Come on, you with me? Just because we don't agree with things. Come on. Get over it. Move past it. Right? So I believe the first time around was them to just shut up the rhetoric. Stop talking. Right? Second time around, mouth closed, ears open. You can't hear what the Lord is saying if you're too busy running your mouth. Come on. This is all stuff, this is how the Lord talks to me. If he don't talk to y'all, if y'all are a little more sensitive than I am, then he would say, please stop talking so that you can hear me. But he tells me, shut your mouth so you can hear what I'm saying. Right? Think about Zechariah, father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is conceived. He's a miracle. And Zechariah couldn't get in agreement with what he was supposed to name his child. Do y'all remember what God did to him? He physically shut his mouth. The man couldn't talk. So all that time while that baby was waiting to be born, that <laughs> Zechariah had to shut mouth, open ears. And finally, he got to the point where he was in agreement with God. He could open his mouth at that point and talk, and there was power in it. Third time around, confession and repentance. I believe God brings us through a time where he brings us to a place of confession. Well, maybe it is sin in your life, but maybe it's the confession of Jeremiah 15 where you have unwarranted suspicions against his faithfulness. Maybe he's bringing you to a place of repentance of how dare you, how dare you have suspicions about my faithfulness. Fourth time around. Finally now, I'm going around it for the fourth time. Okay, now I'm going to start getting in agreement with God. Yeah, Lord, I believe you. I believe this is my promised land, even though there's giants in it. God, I hear what you're saying. Lord, I confess that you know better than I do. I confess that your ways are higher than I am. I confess that I'm going to stay with you regardless of what happens, of the outcome. I'm with you, right? Fifth time around, alignment with the Father. I'm going to align my heart with yours now. I'm not going to have an ulterior motive. I'm not going to pray one way and secretly hope it turns out another. I'm in full 100% alignment with you. 
What you say is what I desire, right? And then he goes on to say, and then I put six time around, now I'm at a place where my confession is faith. (laughs) By faith, I will do this. By faith, I will stay here. By faith, this wall will come down. By faith, this will happen. By faith, right? Because I've gotten alignment. I've gotten in agreement with God. So finally, that seventh time around, guess what I'm ready to do? Now when I shout, guess what? There's power behind my shout because I've taken time to get in agreement with God. Now there's power behind my shout. And how many of you know that can happen all simultaneously? It doesn't have to take seven years to do that. That can happen in milliseconds. How many of you know that? So I want to I sh- ask you this. What round are you in? Where are you? Because the seventh lap is coming. If you just stay, if you just stay with him in the fight, if you just stay with him in the fight. So I want to su- sing this song real quick, and we're going to close out. But I want to say this. Listen, Peter said this. Peter said, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. The very thick of it. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Come on, just lift your hands and let's just cry out to the Lord. Father, we thank you today. Lord, I thank you that you never leave us that you never forsake us. Lord, I thank you for your character, that you are good, that you are good, that you are good, and that your mercies endure forever and ever. God, I thank you that you are my great reward. I thank you that you are our reward. Father, we declare today that we will be a resting place for you. Come on, can you just tell him that? God, I invite you to be, be, I want to be a resting place for you. Your will done through me. Your way. Your way. Your kingdom ways trump every other way. And in the midst of it all, God, I raise a hallelujah to you. In the midst of it all, I believe you. 